our problem and our anger with our neighbours may actually be reflective of things not being right in our own home, things not being right in the way that we are relating to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Hello and welcome to Candid, where we never settle for less than the truth. I'm your host, Jonathan Youssef. Each week we'll tackle tough issues, answer your hard questions, and take a candid look at the Christian faith. We have dealt with so much over the past year, and there doesn't really seem to be an end in sight. It's not surprising that the stress of a worldwide pandemic, a lockdown, and national unrest would stir up a myriad of emotions within us. And anger may be at the top of that list. How many times this past year have you thought, whoa, where did that feeling come from? Today, Bruce Lowe joins me to look at the bigger landscape of anger and zero in on why anger may be taking up residence in our hearts and minds. Bruce Lowe is a dear friend and mentor, a fantastic teacher, a scholar, and an author. He is currently a professor at Reformed Theological Seminary and was one of my previous professors. He recently wrote an article for the Gospel Coalition on the very topic of anger in this pandemic. Please join Bruce and me for this insightful, candid conversation. Also, here at Candid, we would love your feedback. Will you leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform? This helps other listeners discover us. Bruce, thank you so much for being on Candid Conversations again. Great to be here, Jonathan. Well, Bruce, as we, as I've said earlier, we're we're having this conversation about anger. You've written an article for the Gospel Coalition about how this lockdown pandemic issue has brought anger out. So you've really spent some time not only thinking about this issue of anger, but really searching the scriptures for answers to this core issue. So I wonder if you just Give us a little bit of insight on some of these discoveries that you've been uncovering. Yeah, and I thought you were going to say, Jonathan, uh, and you've been uh, getting angry yourself. (laughs) Well, I almost entitled the article uh, Angry Bruce Lowe. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it's interesting in the article, I I do come out with an honest admission to start with, you know, that I, I kind of suddenly found in lockdown, I was like, wow, why am I getting more angry here? I, I didn't consider myself to be an angry person. Um, and yet, you know, all of a sudden you're in lockdown, you're, you're with other people. And, and I was talking to other people too, and people, again, who I know not to be sort of angry kinds of people, all of a sudden saying, man, I'm struggling with anger. Um, mm. So that's, that's what got me thinking about it in the first place. Yeah. We have to really get to the root and the core of what's happening here. What sort of in your, in your time on uh, delving into this issue were you beginning to unearth? Yeah, I guess I kind of started to think, what is the root of anger? You know, where where does it all come from in the first place? I mean, the simple answer is sin, of course. But, mm-hmm. you know, um, sin is, is subtle, sin is nuanced. Uh, and sometimes just a blanket statement like that is, is not helpful, uh, is not entirely helpful. And so, you know, I kind of got thinking about it. I, got, I did some exploring. One of the things, the themes that people constantly bring out is that anger has to do with frustrated anticipation or frustrated desires you know you want something to happen and it doesn't happen and that causes frustration you know so it's your dreams kind of being squashed that's a common way to think about anger 
And so, you know, again, in the article, I kind of explored that a little bit. I used the analogy of somebody pulling in front of you and when you were about to get on the freeway, you know, if you're, if you're sort of been waiting 10 minutes in a long queue, pulling, you know, one car at a time on and some person zooms up the side and pulls in, um, you kind of just, yeah, frustrated by that. And, and Who of us have not experienced that? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and, and this, this kind of took me into, in, in a different direction, actually, um, to the, to the, just the frustrated, my dreams being frustrated or, more, or what I was expecting or hoping being frustrated. Cause there's a real sense in which the person zipping in front of you is not going to destroy your dreams at all. I mean, they right. would be justified in their own mind thinking, well, what difference does it make to that person that I've pulled in front? It's one car length. You know, it's, it's right. all of five seconds or three seconds of extra time that's going to take. And so for that person, they're feeling very calm. And for everyone else, you know, the hundred cars behind them, they're feeling angry. Why are they feeling angry at this point? And I think what, what I came to was thinking about the idea of put down, I guess, I, to put it in very simple terms. The idea that someone thinks that they're better than me. Yeah, um, disrespect. Yeah, disrespect, put down. Um, you, what are you implicitly saying? You are saying... You're more important than I am. What I came to was that as I explored sort of the ancient world and, and some of the right. attitudes towards and some of the unpacking of anger, actually, that, that even Aristotle did, uh, the ancient Greek philosopher Aristotle, who was, who was very much an observer of people and an observer of things. So we think of a, a you know, philosopher, and some, for some listeners, they might go, oh, you know, don't mention that. But, I mean, he was, he was, a, he was a common sense kind of person, a, a thinker and an observer. And one of the things he observed was exactly this phenomenon. And I, and I guess I then went and looked at Scripture and thought, you know, there is actually quite a number of passages that reinforce this idea that anger comes from being put down. Mm. It kind of ties into a, a conversation you and I had offline earlier, which is it comes down to value. Mm. How do I see myself? How do I value life? How do I value others? Because, you know, it's funny – I'm willing to admit this. Um, Go ahead. I feel like I always have a confessional time with you when you come on the program. Um, I always flip the script. If somebody, and we'll use the the sort of um, generally accepted anger of traffic, right? If somebody cuts me off, I become angry. But then I try to think in my head, how many times have I done this to someone else, mm. right? You start to kind of put the shoe on the other foot and think, you know, sometimes I think, oh, exactly what you said. I'm not really putting that many people out. I just need to kind of get up here because because there's something urgent or important that I need to take care of. And at the same time, when it happens to you, you know, that's when the anger kind of takes place, right? What is our value system? What is it that we are conveying or expressing to people, particularly in this, you know, in a case like this, that's nonverbal, what am I telling the rest of the world about what I think about myself and what I think about them? I yeah. mean, even within you think about the context of each area of your life. I mean, church life, your home life, you know, how you spend time with your children, your wife, uh, husband, you know, whatever it is, parents, your work life, you know, how you treat your boss or your employees or your equals. This is an everyday thing. Mm -hmm. And you know, we, we have those levels of anger as well. So it's sort of, that low simmering anger that kind of just bubbles over there. And then there's the kind of shooting off anger and 
And I think you're right. I think, you know, when we start looking at, at scripture, it really starts to press in at those core questions of what it is that you value and how you convey that. I think you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I mean, and it was interesting that, you know, at the end of my article, I kind of said as much, you know, it's like the article was specifically written for anger in lockdown, but it was like, what can I learn from this? You know, like, like seeing, seeing the whole of life as, you know, a journey where the Lord is taking us and he's teaching stuff to me and he's conforming me more to the image of Christ. It's like, what, what am I supposed to be learning from this? I don't want to waste this opportunity. Yeah. And realizing that, whoa, baby, I have some problems. <laughs> you know, like... there, there is something there that this is uncovered. And rather than say, oh, you know, this is just an anomaly of situation, right. a situational anomaly, saying, no, 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 this is part of the Lord's goodness and exposing yeah. something. Well, and it's interesting as, uh, as I think about it, even in relation to your original plan, which was, the lockdown, the quarantine had sort of begun to reveal these things. I'm beginning to now see people did exactly what you were saying, where something may have been exposed and then they, we sort of write it off as well, but this, it's the situation. And how many times we hear people saying, Oh, I don't know how much more I can do with this. And I don't know how much, well, it's probably you're frustrated with the outcomes of that. It's things have been canceled. Things have been put off. But it sounded like, you know, we saw this as we got towards the end of the year, that people thought um, in, in some capacity that it's like once January 1st, 2021 came, <laughs> all of that would be done with and we'd sort of move on to the next chapter and everything would be kind of restored. But it looks like this could be a longer term thing than we had hoped or, or thought. And so now people really need to become face to face with issues like this, like anger because it's going to continue. I mean, in, in some sense, it's, it's um, as you said, don't miss the opportunity to deal with yourself or to have God deal with you because this is his good design. He's taking something that's uh, bad and using it for his good, right? Using it for his yeah. glory. And so I, I hope that Christians are, are, are listening in and willing to sort of ask themselves these hard questions as we continue to talk about this issue. Can I just add to that, Jonathan? You know, um, you know, do not despise the Lord's discipline. He, he disciplines those he loves. Um, Amen. You know, and, and that's, a, that's a great thing, isn't it? I mean, we, no one likes to be disciplined. And, and, and I, I've kind of made it a, a motto in my life. I want to take things the easy way. If I see, if I see things, something in Scripture, I'm like, I don't want to do this the hard way, right? Lord, I want, to, I want to learn quickly. I want to come to you quickly and seek your face on this and, um, you know, pursue the help of others but it's a wonderful thing when the lord disciplines us but right. we are loved by our father and mm. that's why he loves us enough to to deal with that which is going to be destructive in our lives how do we progress uh from facing and understanding the core issue that's an issue with us this sort of sin issue that we have and then how do we grow from that how do we kind of step out of that you know, just to just to lay one more foundational level, and then which is kind of what you invited me to do. So I'll do that just by giving you a few scriptures, by giving listeners a few yeah. scriptures to read and think about, um, which is kind of already pointing towards the solution, isn't it? If the scriptures address this problem, right. then uh, that's our way out. And I guess just to broaden this, let me do that first. I mean, sure. you've already broadened it, Jonathan, and I think um, it can be broadened. In my own mind, I'm, I'm actually um, having another article published on this, 
uh, just on a blog site again, but it's going to be on um, anger and racism. Because mm -hmm. if you think about it, so many times uh, we, we think, well, I'm not racist. But then on the other hand, it's like if you get angry at somebody else being more honored than you or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, and if that anger is based on something about that person, whether it's their race, whether it's their gender, whether it's their age, you know, I, I get angry with young people. I get angry with old people, right? I get angry with women, you know, I get angry with men. Like it's like equal opportunist. You get angry with everyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. No, but I'm saying if if they're specific about those, yeah, yeah. yeah. But you know, that again exposes something in our hearts about this very issue of who do I think I am? <laughs> and that's a right. that's that's an expression you know we often use on others. Who do you think you are? You know? And yeah. it's like, but but that's a question we're asking ourselves here actually. Who yeah. do I think I am that mm. I'm better than others? And therefore, I deserve to get angry uh, when they, you know, put me down. Let me just throw in a few scriptures here. Um, yeah. So in Romans 1, you know, Paul talks about the fact he uses the word, and, and the key Greek word here is orage, means wrath or anger. And this is the word, actually, that Aristotle uses, talks about as well. So there's a neat connection there directly, linguistically. So in Romans 1, you know, basically the wrath of God or the anger of God, orage, is being revealed. And Paul goes on to say the reason why it's getting revealed, why is God angry? Actually, because God, the creator of all things, has been brought down by puny humans and mm. made to be beneath them like animals and birds and creeping things. Right. So that straight away fits, I think, with this whole idea. You know, it actually explains why God gets angry in Romans 1, 18 to 32. And then in Matthew 18, you know, the, the king is uh, enraged when a forgiven servant fails to forgive another. Mm. And there's, there's a kind of an implicit anger thing there because, you know, the king's saying, wow, you think you're more important than me, then you need to be paid back? I've just forgiven you this. Right. And now you think you need to be paid back. And in Luke 14, uh, 21, the master gets angry. Again, same Greek word. All of these are the same word. When the guest turned down his invitation to the feast, and, and what's interesting is what he then does out is he goes out and he grabs lowly people and he exalts them, um, which is significant for what I'm about to say too. In Luke 15, 28, the older brother is angry and refuses to go into the feast. Why? Because his younger brother, who he considers to be of less value than him, because he's done all these things for his father, his younger brother is being honored with this feast when he wasn't even given uh, a feast with his friends. Right. So... There's, there's things about all of those passages, interestingly enough, that, that all seem to strike the same chord, that anger does have this connection with being put down, perceptively in our own minds being put down. Right. So that leads us to the question, I guess, what do we do with this? Well, I think that you know, the beautiful thing about all of these passages is that they, they're all Scripture and they're all meant to tell us something, they're all meant to teach us something. And so you know, if we start, for example, with Matthew 18.34, the king gets enraged because um, he has forgiven this person so much, and yet they're turning around and not forgiving somebody else. What's the lesson out of that? Um, well, first of all, it's meant to expose our problem. It's meant to expose you know, the, the, the stupidity of this situation. But what is the actual stupidity that it's exposing? It's exposing the stupidity that God himself would forgive us, that God himself would overlook our sins, and then we would turn around 
and want to hold other people to it in our pride. Mm. So I think there's a beautiful piece of teaching there. It's really the gospel of what God has done for us that exposes our problem, a part of our problem there. That Matthew 18 passage is fascinating because it's the debt that's forgiven is, uh, it's like astronomical. It's like billions. Exactly. And the debt that the servant refuses to forgive is like dollars. Yeah, precisely. And I think sometimes we forget to see it in that sort of discrepancy. Uh, we sort of view God's forgiveness of our sins as dollars yeah. when it's eternity. I mean, it's eternal value. And yet the little things that we hold on to and refuse forgiveness are essentially dollars in comparison to the things we've been forgiven. That's right. Well said. And I mean, Jesus has some even stronger words to say, doesn't he? When he says, you know, that if you don't forgive those others, you won't be forgiven either. I mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's a passage to ponder and think about. But unforgiveness and, and an inability to appreciate God's forgiveness to us and therefore let that reflect in our forgiving attitude to others is a massive issue biblically. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, we can go on, Jonathan. You know, there, there, we could talk about uh, Romans 1. You know, we could talk about to what extent have we belittled God? You know, to what extent do we bring God down into our own, um, and we want to control him. You know, that's what really people were doing, pagans were doing, bringing him down. And, you know, you turn God into an idol, into a thing that looks like a bird or a creeping thing, and, and then all of a sudden you've got control. You can, you can start to conjure up things. You know, you can start to do certain things before that idol, and that allows you a sense of control. So really it's, it is a bringing down of God physically, you know, in terms of the creation of an idol, but we can also do that in our thinking when we try to manipulate the Lord. How much of this is sort of a direct corollary issue? So is when we see someone who has um, a habitual anger issue, does that reveal to us a lacking in our proper understanding of God and who he is? Yes, that can be tricky because like even you've said the you know, lockdown has revealed anger in you. And, you know, here you are as a a seminary professor, you, you understand God's nature and character. But at the same time, I think you would have also been someone who, um, you know, not to, to put you on, on a, on a big pedestal, but you would have also been someone to be quick to realize the anger that you are exhibiting because you understand the character of God and the nature of God and the law of God, you know, while as certainly an unbeliever would have no comprehension of who God is or, or care. And so therefore they probably are less likely to recognize anger in themselves or the effects of that. I'm not necessarily trying to create something here, but having this conversation, I'm beginning to wonder, you know, how much does that reveal about that person's uh, perception of who God is? Because so many of us have a wrong view of God or an unhealthy view of God. I totally agree. And maybe even the irony here is on the one hand, the the Romans one passage is is, you know, this belittling view of God, turning him into a Coke machine. You know, you put <laughs> in your money and out comes your Coke. Um right. and then the irony is though, on the other hand, that maybe we don't have a fullness of understanding of how gracious mm-hmm. and wonderful and loving yeah. the Lord is. And that can also be a problem for us. So on the one hand, we can be kind of squashing God down. 
And on the other hand, you know, we can be, uh, you know, failing to recognize his very character of mercy and, and grace. So okay. I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, to be frank, my moment of hesitancy, which you kind of picked up on, was not a moment of hesitancy at all about what you said. I think you're absolutely right. I think this is extremely exposing. And I think for listeners, the more they read the different passages that I mentioned and just dwell on them, I think there's really great opportunity and even study those scriptures together in groups, you know, maybe do a Bible study with others on it. I think those passages just reveal different angles, different aspects of, of the problem. You know, the older brother and, and why was he angry at the younger brother and what did he think, you know, and his interaction with his father. I absolutely agree. I'll say this, that when I think about the solution, though, I always think that the solution has to be relational. Mm. It's not simply a, a solution that has to do with intellectual change. And I think mm. I just more and more feel like this is a problem, you know, since the Enlightenment, since, the, you know, we live in a scientific intellectual era, we think that it's simply, the knowledge. Yeah, simply learning ideas will be the solution. And I just need to change my mindset about myself versus my mindset with God. And I guess the attitude, you know, that I'm seeing, you can take each of those passages and in a way read yeah. them in those terms. And that, that's not wrong as right. a starting point. But the, they always need to draw us back into our relationship with the Lord. You know, that's like, Lord, I, I want to lift you up. I want to exalt you. You know, the solution is not to Romans 1 is not simply to say, um, I need to change my mindset about God. Mm. Uh, but but the, the solution is I need to exalt him in a positive way, you know. The, the overcoming of sin is not just the, the elimination of the bad, but the overcoming of sin is the drawing towards the good in terms in our relationship with the Lord himself. That's what's going to make all the difference. And I think that sometimes for Christians, um, and this maybe goes back even to our podcast from last time that we did on overcoming sin. You know, Subtle plug. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, I, th I think that, you know, so often now it's, we end up with a, with a glass half empty approach to the Christian life, which is very much about um, eliminating the bad. And, 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 you know, what is the goal of life to overcome sin? Well, no, actually, the goal of life is to know and love the Lord and live in the fullness of life itself, which is knowing him and loving him and serving him and honoring him. And so I think that each of these passages can be read in that light uh, and, and not just about correcting the way we think, but also drawing us into our relationship with the Lord. All four of the examples that you use, Romans 1, Matthew 18, Luke 14, Luke 15, they're all relational. Mm. It's not just to change your mindset. It's a, uh, what's the relationship between God and his creation? What's the relationship between the servant and the master? And even the servant and his his servant. Uh, what's the relationship between the dinner party guests and the and the host yes. and the brother and the fa you know even that's the family the the father with the two brothers. It's yeah. it's it's funny you bring that up because I was just looking at that and thinking about that the relationality of all the examples that you've cited. Yeah, could I just even throw in like another passage, like in in Matthew seventeen, I believe where. You know, you have the parable of the talents, and mm. what's what's interesting, you know, the talent is not a you know talent like juggling or uh, <laughs> <laughs> wrapped throwing darts. Like it's right, <laughs> but it's 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 a it's a sum of money, and actually the NIV describes it as the person was given one bag of money, you know, 
or three bags of money. Listen, it was a, a like a bag of gold. I mean, it was it was a right. massive amount of money. We're talking millions of, you know, say a million dollars roughly, probably. Mm. And so the interesting thing, even in that passage, is it's very relational because the the master knows exactly the servants. He knows his own servants. He knows who can handle what, and he gives more to one person and less to somebody. And the person who doesn't get it right is clearly the person who does, who's got the minimal amount, you know. So it was right for the master to know and understand his servants and exactly what they, they can handle. But the interesting thing is that the servant who has the one talent, who buries it in the ground, his response reflects a wrong relational connectedness with God himself, you know, with the master in this case, in the parable mm-hmm. space. Because it says, I know that you are a harsh master, you know, reaping yeah. where you don't sow. And, and, and so it's like, again, yes, it's a perception thing, but it goes deeper than that. And, and the way that to fix the problem, which I guess is the most important thing here, isn't it? The way to fix the problem is not just to kind of correct a wrong way of thinking directly by trying to fix our brain, but it's actually drawing relationally with the Lord and understanding him and knowing him, walking the walk of faith with him, praying about things that you need and you're seeing answers to those prayers and you're thanking the Lord and you know, you're feeling his pleasure. You're trusting him to reach out and share your faith with that person when you're scared to death and you see him do something amazing. And it's like that living vital relationship of faith is the thing that corrects our wrong view of God. So even in that passage, you know, it, it, you're absolutely right. That passage doesn't necessarily include the word anger, I don't think, or gay, but it still brings in that same theme, doesn't it? Mm. So Bruce, you know, I'm thinking about um, the Bible talks about John 13, you know, the, the love that you have for one another, uh, that's how people will recognize you as my disciples. And so I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, there's very much the anger that happens within the body of Christ. How do we deal with that sort of on the internal level, uh, Christian to Christian, brother to brother, sister to sister, brother to sister? How do we deal with that as a body of believers? And then coming out of that, so if we if we kind of deal internally first, and then how do I deal with uh, you know, my neighbor down the street whose, you know, worldview doesn't make a lot of sense to me and we have some sort of animosity or anger towards each other because of uh, whether it's politics or, or, you know, whatever it is. So, so how do we deal with the internal first and then transition us to the dealing with the external? Well, first thing I want to say, Jonathan, is I think the way that you phrase that is really, really helpful because the reality is that so often we think that as individuals we can go out into the world and deal with problems as if yeah. you know it's all about my relationship individually with the lord and i don't really need my brothers and sisters you know the reality is and i just think this applies to so many areas um we need to get our own house in order and and more than that we need the body of christ and we need to start there and then that's going to actually going to allow us to reach out and get things right outside so so in, in some ways, our problem and our anger with our neighbors may actually be reflective of, um, you know, things not being right in our own home, things not being right in, in the way that we are relating to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, again, that may be for some listeners, um, you may be scratching your head, but let me dig into that for a second. I think that there's a huge issue biblically when it comes to the question of who has authority over each other. You know, who has who is better in the body? Who is more important? You know, we think that the head of the church is my pastor or, you know, this member of pastoral staff. Sorry to have to break the news, <laughs> but that's wrong and unbiblical. 
because the head of the church quite clearly is Christ himself. And that every other member of the body, including those who teach the scriptures for a living, for those who um, pastor and counsel for a living, yes, while the Lord has blessed them with extra opportunity to learn and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, um, they are not the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church. And the way that this becomes important is that every member, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, every member of the body needs each other. And the, you know, the finger is not important than the little toe. Um, the elbow is not less important than the eye. Now, we may think that's the case, but I mean, if you know, if you've had an elbow injury, you'll know that um, your eye isn't be able to function properly. You'll be watering all the time because you're in such pain. Um, yeah. I know this from you know, getting older, some injuries like a shoulder injury from tennis and a, and, a, and a twisted ankle just recently playing with my kids. It's like it's hard to do anything at all, you know, and, it, and realize that very natural analogy that Paul gives, that every member of the body is necessary. Now, a, a little commercial break here. Every member of the body is necessary and needed for every other member. Therefore, the pastor needs the body as well. And I think that so many pastors cut themselves off from the body because they, again, have this wrong view that somehow I can't humble myself by showing that I need the rest of the body. That's anathema. You know, that's, right. that's so foolish because what the pastor is really doing then is cutting himself off from the nutrients of the body of Christ that they need to actually minister back mm. to the body. Mm. Anyway, so back to this. I think the body is diverse enough, you know, with age groups and gender and with different races and, you know, socioeconomic backgrounds. The body is diverse enough. Uh, such that in the body, we can have all kinds of opportunities to expose our ungodly, godless attitudes right. uh, when it comes to thinking that we are more important than others. How dare that person cut in front of me? How dare mm. that person correct me in a Bible study? How dare mm. that person think that they can teach me anything? Um, they've got disabilities. They're a child. Mm. They're, a, you know, they're, they're half my age. Uh, they're twice my age. You know? and, and again, so I just think this this uh, attitude that we're talking about here can so beautifully be exposed in the body as we interact with each other and as we have humility with each other. And and this is the key word I think. Again, going back to Philippians two, you know, let this mind be in your plural that was also in Christ Jesus, and it's mind singular. So let this mind be in your. It's I think Paul is thinking of the body, the body mm -hmm. having a mind or a mindset of humility about itself. Right. So I think this is huge. For those people who are listening who might be pastors who have opportunity to serve, I would say to you, A, you need to learn to need the body. Yeah. We who are pastors and in leadership positions, it needs to start with us. What a difference it would make if the body was led by people who had utter humility, who weren't looking to make a name for themselves, but we're looking to make a name for Christ and we're looking to lift up the body and serve everybody else in the body. If that's the kind of leaders that the church contains, sadly, I don't think it does. <laughs> um, but if that's the kind of people, not just people who can pretend to be humble, but people who are genuinely humble and are genuinely seeking the good of others, not themselves, then get ready. The body is about to be radically transformed. Because then the leadership is going to model that, and then they're going to call out. It's going to become part of the ethos to just call out arrogance. Arrogance has no place in the body of Christ. 
So I, I guess, you know, we're, we're kind of opening up Pandora's box here a little, Jonathan, but I think that once, you know, humility takes place in the body of Christ, then it's going to just spill out exponentially from there. You know, when we don't think ourselves better than somebody of a different race who's our brother or sister in the body, then we step outside and, and it, we're going to be colorblind when it comes to relating to other people outside mm. the church. Mm. So I think our transformation within the body of Christ is essential for us to begin to be transformed outside the body of Christ. Mm. And you use the phrase, you know, it's where we get our nutrients. It's where we are being challenged and equipped and built up. And if your church gathering, your church body doesn't exhibit that humility or patience or any of those characteristics that we see in Christ, how can we exhibit those things to the outside world? It's a big misstep. And so I think you're right. It's, it's, um, these are the things we need to be dealt with and discussed and, and struggled with in the body of believers that, that God has given us. Well, Bruce, um, anything else on your mind that you can think of? We've caught a lot of ground, Jonathan, and uh, look, just so appreciate the time and the opportunity to speak to listeners today. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. Now, we do have uh, one final thing. We've uh, started a new segment, and it's uh, it's our final question, and it is, uh, what is the one question that you would like to ask God when you arrive in heaven? Yeah, Jonathan, that's a great question. I think I would ask God, to tell me about the time that he was the most gracious to me, but I never realized. Yeah. So something like, you know, I might have been hit by a bus and I never even realized it. You know, I, I, there are so many situations in life where I think the Lord uh, has just been wonderful. And, and I think that would be awesome to know that, you know, yeah. maybe even give me a list of the top hundred or something, you know. <laughs> So that, that I could be all the more appreciative in insanity for all he's done for me. You might die again just seeing the list. <laughs> that's right, exactly. <laughs> Out of shock. Oh, that's good. Well, Bruce, it's always such a, an honor and a privilege to be together and, and, and have a conversation. I know illness things have, have kept us apart from being in the room together, but um, we always appreciate your time, and I know our listeners uh, always love our conversations. So thank you so much for joining us. Fantastic. Great to talk. Awesome. Candid is a podcast from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. Don't forget to connect with our social media pages on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And subscribe to Candid Conversations on your favorite podcast platform so that you never miss an episode. While there, please leave a review. It helps people to find us. As always, thank you for listening to and sharing this episode.